To the Sensory Reformed podcast. Zach Wise here with Brandon Burks. We're co pastors at Westside Reformed Church, and we're glad that you joined us this week. We're going to be thinking a little bit more again about uh, reading God's Word, and we want to help you this week. Um, again, another chapter from uh, Brandon's book where he unpacks some different um, forms of theology that really help to direct and to guide and to inform our uh, deep study of God's Word. So uh, one of the ways that uh, Gerhard Voss uh, speaks, he speaks about a, a theological uh, encyclopedia. And he talks about different uh, departments of theology and how they relate to one another. Let me just list those for us, and then, Brian, maybe you can unpack a little bit about this interrelationship, and we can begin to talk about the uh, particulars of them. He lists these, exegetical theology, biblical theology, systematic theology, historical theology, and then practical theology. So maybe give us a bird's eye overview of how these interrelate. Maybe we can get into the uh, particulars of them. Sure, yeah. yeah. So um, exegetical theology, biblical theology, um, systematic theology, those are um, looking at the, the texts of the Bible and um, um, seeking you know, what God is teaching about various things and then we'll talk about you know more of the the uh, details there historical theology is looking at kind of the progression of doctrine and it really sets up for us um kind of boundaries i guess you could say and then the practical theology side of thing is looking more than how do we then live this out and how does this apply to the church and and and, and apply to the life of the church and uh those kinds of things that's kind of maybe a big picture how how, how they relate but excellent excellent well let's begin now with the uh, exegetical uh, theology and maybe you can um unpack that term for us maybe some of our listeners are unfamiliar with the term exegetical or exegesis, where it comes mm-hmm. from, help us understand that, and, and why, why are we, we beginning here? So in, in exegesis, you are seeking to interpret a, a passage of the Bible. You're taking a passage and you're trying to interpret what that, what that passage is. In uh, what, what, what we mean by exegetical theology is that we are going to be narrowly focused on a text or maybe a group of texts and we're going to kind of con- confine ourselves and our look to those texts to see what those texts are teaching about, about God or about Christ or, or whatever, whatever the text is talking about. And so we're going to be looking in kind of narrowly there. And, um, of course, anybody can do exegetical theology. Um, you, know, you, can, you can zoom in. You can get out different Bible tools. You know, this is where it might be helpful if you had like a, a concordance or a Bible dictionary or something. You could do like a word study. Even if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, you know, a lot of people do, do word studies. There's, there's great apps and, and free uh, software that you can um, um, look up a Greek word or Hebrew word word to kind of see what's going on there, see what it means. So exegetical theology is just kind of honing in on, on, on a text or a group of texts to find out what it's teaching about, uh, about obviously, whatever it's uh, speaking about. And it can also get quite complicated as well, where if you know a lot of Greek and Hebrew, maybe you're getting into more of the grammar and the syntax, and you're trying to, trying to determine, you know, how is, how is this uh, dative or this genitive 
functioning here. And so it can get rather complicated. Exegetical theology also looks at manuscripts. I mean, if you've ever opened up the King James Bible and then compared it with maybe uh, an ESV, you might notice there are some differences. Uh, there might be one text that says um, um, prayer. And then, it, and, then, and then that same text in the King James says prayer and fasting. Well, is it prayer or is it prayer and fasting? Well, exegetical theology will also have a view of the manuscripts and kind of look at some of the manuscript debates. Are, are there some manuscripts that have just prayer and then manuscripts that have prayer and fasting and which manuscripts should we go with? So exegetical theology is something that anybody can do, but uh, it has some depth to it to where people who are specialized in Greek and Hebrew can really kind of... Um, um, go to work on, on some of the weeds of the text, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth noting also that when we think about that term exegesis, this relates to what Brandon mentioned in one of our previous episodes, that God puts a meaning in the text, and God has given it meaning. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to draw that meaning out to understand the meaning that's inherent to it, not to read our own meaning into it, oh, I want to say this because there's some social cause going on right now that I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to go to the Bible and try to read this new idea into the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about drawing out of it the meaning that God has placed in that, and he placed in, in that uh, thousands of years ago for mm -hmm. our benefit. So beginning here then with exegetical theology to draw out the meaning of a particular text or groups of texts. So Brandon, how about then taking the next step for us to Biblical theology. Shouldn't all theology be biblical, Brandon? Right, yeah. Um, biblical theology is the one that's, I think, least known. It's uh, the one that's least utilized at times. And part of the reason is it's been defined differently by different people. Um, there have been people in the past who were more, I guess you could say, on the left side of thing that would use the term biblical theology. But what they meant was, um, was a history of religions in school. And so what they meant kind of by all of, all of these things is they would look at religion almost like, an, like evolution, whereas Christianity was kind of this highest developed form of religion, and that was biblical theology or something to them. So um, obviously that's not what, what we're talking about. Other people um, just kind of lump it in. Uh, it almost sounds like systematic theology. They kind of define it like it's doctrine or, or define it in systematic terms or something like that. But biblical theology, the way in which uh, Gearhardus Voss is going to um, talk about it the way that you know we see it in in the Reformed tradition, especially again with Gearhardus Voss, also with Meredith Klein, uh, G.K. Beale, um, Richard Gaffin, uh, other people who have done biblical theology. Biblical theology is the history of special revelation. It's the history of special revelation. Um, the Bible is a organic unfolding um, story, right? It's, it's, it's a narrative that unfolds throughout redemptive history, throughout covenant history, even before even, even before the fall uh, with Adam in the Garden of Eden, we see this unfolding of covenant history. And so what biblical theology does is it has more of a narrative look, tracing out that unfolding of that organic um, narrative that is, that is happening in the Bible. Um, so one author, uh, Guy Waters, he says, biblical revelation is progressive. 
in that it moves toward a divinely predetermined goal, namely the person and work of Christ. Biblical revelation is organic in that this movement resembles the growth of an organism. And so your, um, you know, people who do biblical theology will perhaps trace various themes in the Bible, like a theme of offspring, a theme of clothing, a theme of wilderness, uh, a theme of kingdom, or, or whatever it is. You can trace out that, that theme, and you might even compare and contrast and say, okay, how, did, how, how was prayer revealed in the time of Moses? compared to Paul's writings or something like that. You might do a kind of like, like an inter-narrative comparison between um, Moses and Paul or uh, Paul and, uh, and David or, or whoever. And, uh, or you might even focus in on one particular person and say, well, what is the, the, the theology of Paul? Or how did Paul view atonement? How did Peter view atonement? How did Luke write on the atonement? And so you, you might have like a, like a particular um, um, view that you're looking at within this organic unfolding narrative. So, um, and biblical theology, I think, is, a, is an exciting thing. I, you know, when I went to seminary, it was probably, probably the thing that I was least aware of. And so it was kind of neat as you get into the biblical text and you see how the New Testament is using the Old Testament. Or even how later Old Testament texts are using earlier Old Testament texts and finding these parallels and finding these, these common words or phrases that are being used throughout the Bible, really seeing how the Old Testament is coming up out of, uh, embedded in, and being fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, seeing how Paul, in, for example, in Romans 1 is bringing three Old Testament texts together and how it's functioning there. Uh, it's just really exciting, I think, to see that and see how it's it's really all organic it's from god it's it's telling the same story about christ and it's unfolding from genesis to revelation in really remarkable and deep ways that biblical theology is going to be tracing out excellent very helpful the um as you probably tell but by describing it as biblical theology it's not uh describing it as being simply true it's taking the narrative of the Bible, and that's, that's the idea here, is that that organic growth, that progressive revelation that God has given. So just to, be, um, to, to restate that so nobody's confused. Mm-hmm. The uh, third uh, then branch of theology that we want to think about then is systematic theology, probably one that's most familiar to our listeners who are you know, familiar with the theological task. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, could you unpack what systematic theology is? Yeah, so systematic theology is asking whole Bible questions, right? So you might say, what does the Bible say about end times? You know, what does the Bible say about prayer? What does the Bible say about the incarnation of Christ? And then in order to you know, paint the picture, so to speak, we would bring in uh, really all of the pertinent texts from Genesis to Revelation. We bring them all together, obviously properly understood in their own context and, and things. We don't want to misread or anything like that. But bringing in the whole Bible to paint the whole mosaic of what God has to say about a particular um, doctrine. And um, so obviously systematic theology presupposes a couple things. It presupposes the Bible is complete. Right? We're not getting new books and new revelation that's going to maybe change or alter uh, newer stuff. The Bible is complete. The Bible is unified. It's, it's a whole. So I can bring in elements from 
Exodus and uh, Romans and the Psalms. Like I can bring in elements because it is a unified um, um, text from God. It's a unified word of God. And it is sufficient. I don't need, uh, we're, not, we're not chained, right, to, to anything outside of it. Now, systematics will employ a lot of things. Systematics will have a view toward history and look at historical development and look at the history of what's going on. Systematics might even um, use language that maybe um, perhaps philosophers have used. Now, they might, uh, they might repurpose some words, uh, to, to fit more of a, a theological Christian um, identity, but they might um, take some tools from other people uh, in order to express, in order to, to talk about what the Bible is saying, for example, about the Trinity. And they might talk about hypostases and use, use uh, some language in order to try to, try to um, express what the, the whole Bible is saying about it. Um, here's what um, Richard Gaffin said about uh, systematic theology that I thought was helpful. He says, Systematic theology is a non-speculative discipline that is concerned with what is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences may be deduced from Scripture. And so, again, uh, it's concerned with asking whole Bible questions. And I always tell people, like, we typically do this as Christians. Like, even, even Christians who, when you say the word systematic and it sounds very intimidating, it's like, well, you, you do this. You ask questions. Like, what does the Bible say about X? I mean, everybody asks those, those types of questions, and you're asking systematic questions at that point. That's right. So these first two that we've gone through, exegetical biblical and systematic theology are really concerned with directly with the uh, biblical text and you can discern there there's an order going on from the uh, particular text to then the narrative into which it fits to then the, the system that is conveyed again we believe that god has inspired the text and god is orderly and therefore we understand there's, there's a, a way of thinking orderly and an orderly way about the text systematic theology uh, probably worth saying here that even though there is an order from exegetical to biblical to systematic, it doesn't need to be done in isolation from one another. Mm-hmm. Our systematics need to reinforce, or the, or, or, I should say, our systematics should inform our exegesis and go back. There should be mm-hmm. an interplay between right. them, even though there's an, an order going on there. Mm-hmm. And they need to be able to speak to each other and be in dialogue with each other. But these first three really engage directly with the uh, biblical text. Anything you want to say on that before we move on? So there's uh, there's actually a uh, article or chapter that Silva wrote called the Calvinistic Hermeneutic, uh, where he's making that point where he says um, when we come to a text, we obviously have kind of like a bigger uh, bigger picture theology kind of in the background working. Now the text should inform our systematic theology, but it, he said it's kind of foolhardy to say that your systematics never informs mm-hmm. your, your exegesis. Yeah. There, there is a back and forth here. So as we're doing systematics, I want to be exegetic, exegetically grounded, right? And I want to understand that unfolding narrative and, and, and what I'm saying in, in systematics. But as I'm doing exegetical theology, I need to also know the unfolding and the grander narrative and what he's saying um, uh, in terms of the ordering and things. And so it, it, it is, they, it's like a mutually back and forth um, arrow, I guess you could say, where they reinforce each other. Um, but yet they are distinct and we can focus on one or the other, but just, again, not in isolation. 
Well, then moving on to the fourth now, historical theology. So help us with this one, Brandon. So historical theology is, again, it's, it's, it's not you know, focused on the text, per se, like the first three were. So the first three, there is an inherent uh, authority, perhaps, right, uh, because we're focused on the text of, what, of, of God's Word. Um, whereas in, in historical theology, we're looking at how doctrine has developed, how the understanding of the church has developed. Um, and so we might ask, okay, how did the, the early church understand uh, the atonement? Or we might ask, how did the medieval church understand atonement? Or how did the Reformation church understand atonement? How did modern church understand atonement? And we might even compare and contrast and, uh, and say, okay, well, how did the doctrine of creation factor into the medieval church that differed from how the Reformation church understood creation? Um, and then we might look at big figures throughout church history, like how did things change with St. Augustine? Or we might ask, um, you know, how, how did things in the modern era, maybe, how, how were they impacted by the writings of Karl Barth? Um, and how did that factor into things in the modern era? And so it's more of a historical progression. Um, now, obviously, I think church history is a, you could say, a lesser uh, authority. It's a subordinate authority to the Bible, but um, the creeds and the confessions were developed um, within those early years into the church, and obviously we look to the creeds and confessions uh, as authorities in our, in our churches. We look to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed as statements of orthodoxy as the church has wrestled with various doctrines. We also realize in historical theology that uh, the Holy Spirit has been with his church throughout uh, the, the thousands of years. And there's a tendency in our day to kind of have a, a more of a me and my Bible attitude and we um, kind of push away history as though it didn't matter or as though you know we need some, something fresh today whereas no the, the, the even within the bible we're always everyone's always concerned to be rooted right rooted in uh, what god is doing rooted in the past and we're concerned with how the holy spirit has been with his people throughout um throughout uh, the years it would be i think an affront to the holy spirit to just say well i don't really care what the holy spirit did with the church for two thousand years I, i'm only concerned with me and my bible reading right now I think that would be a, an odd thing to say to the Holy Spirit. And, but there are Christians who read like, well, all that's corrupt. You know, and then the, whole, the whole church history is corrupt, and we just need to have a, have a new fresh thing, me and, me and my Bible. And that's just not, that's not helpful. Traditions um, can, and history, and creeds, and all, all of these things can be helpful to us. Now, obviously, we have to, have to remember they are subordinate authorities, but yet they are a good filter. Because if somebody says, hey, I have a new doctrine, a new idea uh, that no one has, has, ever, has ever heard before in 2,000 years, it's possible that they do, but it's, it also raises a lot of red flags. Why have Christians not um, not seen that doctrine? Um, how come Christians, you know, and pe people today are, are you know, talk about how Christians have misread Paul for thousands of years now, and everybody's off on the wrong track, and now we're going to have a new perspective to bring us back to the right track. And so um, I think history is a good filter that, that says, wait a second, um, I think the new doctrine or the new perspective is probably, probably an error here. And we'll conclude then with the fifth uh, branch of theology, which is called 
practical theology, as the name indicates. This is where things get pretty practical. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about what that means? So in, in one sense, right, all theology is practical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but practical theology is, uh, is concerned with, okay, how do we take these truths? How do we take, you know, what we're learning in exe- exegetical theology, biblical theology, systematic theology, historical theology, how, how do we take all of that? How does, it, how does it benefit the church? How does it impact the church? How does it impact the Christian life? And so practical theology is going to think about things like liturgical worship, biblical counseling, Christian living, um, matters of, of, of word and sacrament, of preaching, uh, pastoral ministry. I mean, a whole host of things are going to kind of come up within practical uh, theology, how we take all of that and then utilize it within the church and within the Christian life. So that's going to be practical theology. Excellent. Well, we hope this has been a helpful um, discussion for you because is this is the kind of thing where maybe we do this a little bit intuitively as we read the Bible and think about these things, but to really break it out into these five branches of theology, I hope does help clarify for you as to how these different factors come in and interplay to guide the interpretive process. Because again, if we believe that the Bible is God's inspired word that he breathed out through the apostles and prophets that we need to take it very seriously and to apply it very carefully. And so to have this kind of a, a, a way of thinking about these different branches of theology in our minds will help us to make sure that we're not neglecting one or the other, that we can really come to the biblical text in a way that's most responsible, uh, in a way that's uh, conducive to uh, greatest blessing and a depth and richness of insight. And in order that we can flourish as uh, mature Christians, learning more and more of how to die to ourselves and how to be raised up in union with Jesus Christ. And so we hope this has been a helpful um, uh, reflection for you. Do send us questions if you have any. But uh, this has been another episode of the uh, Cincy Reform Podcast. Uh, Brandon Burke, Zach Wise here. We are pastors of Westside Reform Church, and we thank you for joining us. Uh, join us again next week. Bye-bye.